In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, on God in me, we'll continue our Bible study in Psalm 78. This Psalm is a long Psalm, it's 72 verses, so we divided it on four sessions. Every session will finish 18 verses. So last week, we finished from 1 to 18. Tonight, we'll start from 19 to 36. But let me give you an idea about this Psalm. Asaph is the author of the psalm. Asaph actually was mentioning the history of Israel. Usually, when we mention the history, and if I want to mention history of my family or my tribe, my country, usually I will speak about the heroes in the country, the achievement of the country. But Asaph didn't do this. Actually, he was confessing the sins of Israel. Why he is doing this? In order actually to extract lessons, to learn from the weaknesses of our forefathers, so we avoid falling in this weakness. And actually you can summarize the weaknesses of Israel. God was faithful with them. God delivered them. He made miracles. He actually split the Red Sea as Asaph explained. He took them out of Egypt with a powerful hand and with a mighty hand. But people of Israel, they were rebellious and also they were testing God. Testing God, what does it mean to test God? To challenge God. Can God do this? Can God provide meat in the wilderness? You know, that's testing God. That's why in that temptation on the mountain, when Satan said to the Lord Jesus Christ, throw yourself from the pinnacle as if I am testing God. Okay, I'm going to throw myself from the pinnacle of the temple. Can you send your angels? Can you protect me? Is it possible to do it? That's why the Lord told him, don't test the Lord your God. So despite the work of God in their lives, despite his miraculous protection and providence, the children of Israel not only continued to sin and rebelled against God, but then went further, more than rebellion, but they willfully put God to the test. So these two words, rebellion and testing God, sum up Israel's behavior. They rebelled against God by constant disobedience to his revealed will. God wants them to do this? No, we are not going to do this. And they tempted God, they tested him by disbelieving doubts of his goodness and impudent disrespectful demands that he should prove his power. Prove your power. Can you send us meat in the wilderness? Can you send us meat in the wilderness? God gave them manna, but they soon wanted meat, the food of their fancy, as we read in Numbers 11 from verse 4 to 11. So they were dissatisfied with what God provided. God provided them manna, but they were dissatisfied. They thought the reason why God did not give them what they wanted, why God did not give them meat, was because he could not, that it was beyond his power. As we read in verse 19, yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? 
can God prepare a table in the wilderness? So they doubted his, his power. They doubted that he is able to prepare a table for them in the wilderness. With these words, they spoke against God. They tested him, expressing their lack of faith in his power and lack of trust in his care. They did not believe that God could meet their needs in the wilderness. And we fall in the same sin. Speaking of food and drink, a scholar more deeply extended to all Christians who neglect the Savior counsel. God told us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? But we are anxiously distressed about these temporal things, as if we are saying, can God provide me with food? Can God provide me with drink? Can God prepare for me what I wear? That is the same attitude. Apparently, the more God gives, the less we appreciate. This resentful response to a series of miracles that God did to Israel is not different than later on when the Lord fed the multitude more than yeah, 5,000 men other than women and children. So you can read this in John chapter 6. But after God fed the multitude, and if we say every man has a wife and two children, at that time they had 10 children, 12 children. But let me assume, God fed 20,000 persons at least from five loaves and two fish. This miracle was mentioned in the beginning of John chapter 6. Later on, do you know what the people said? They said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? So they did not believe how he fed them from five loaves and two fish. And they asked for another sign that they may see it and believe. A demand for a further and better sign. As if this sign of feeding the multitude with five loaves and two fish was not enough. The same was Israel. God blessed and provided for Israel in the exodus from Egypt and in the wilderness. But how Israel responded? They responded with complaining and unbelief. Verse 20. Asaph is mentioning to them what God did for them. Behold, he struck the rock so that the water gushed out and the streams overflowed. That's what he did. But they asked, can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? So God did miracles. From a rock, he made a stream of water gushed out. But still the people, can he give us bread? Can he give us meat? Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious, became angry. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. God heard it and he was furious with their sin against him. They tested him. God heard what they said in their hearts and what they expressed with their mouth, all their murmurings against him, their distrust of his power and providence, 
their disbelief in his promises. This, the sins that Asaph had in his mind, sins of Israel, were sins of ingratitude. They were not grateful to all what God had did for them. They tested God, doubting his power and his care. So, lack of gratitude, testing God, doubt his power and his care, plus rebellion. So God was furious with these sins. And Asaph uses this situation. As I told you, he confessed the sins of Israel. Why? God uses this situation to teach the children what happens when we forget what God has done. Yes, in the beginning of this psalm, Asaph highlighted that the main reason of rebellion, testing God, they doubted his love and his care, and the, the lack of gratitude because of what we call a spiritual uh, dementia. When we forget what God has done for us, if we remember what God has done for us, we will not doubt his power. So all this because they forgot what God has done for them. So the wrath of God was kindled for their attitude which all began because they forgot about what God has done and what God has provided to them. Because of the murmuring of the people against the Lord, fire came down from heaven and burned among them and consumed the greatest part of the camp. That's why the name of the place called Tabera, as we read in Numbers chapter 11 verse 1, which signifies burning. The tabera means burning. Or maybe it was not a literal fire, but figuratively, because the wrath of God many times is compared to fire, as we read in Nahum chapter 1, verse 6. Why? God was furious because they did not believe in God. They did not trust in his salvation. Asaph stated clearly for emphasis they trusted neither in God's power nor in his love. They neither believed that he would nor that he could save them. As if God doesn't want to save them and he is not able to save them. They trusted his salvation. It was this sin which prevented Israel from entering Canaan and it will prevent multitude of people from entering heaven. Many, many people, Satan, put in their heart this doubt. Can God save you? I am so far away from God. I am so sinful. I did everything in my life. I did everything bad. Can God save me? This doubting in his salvation prevented Israel from entering Canaan. And if we doubt that God can save me, even if like, I am like St. Mary of Egypt before her repentance, or St. Moses the Black, or Augustine, or whatever St. Baez, then actually this would prevent the person from entering the heaven. We should not doubt God's salvation. The next part expresses God's mercy. God remains faithful despite our unfaithfulness. That's another lesson in this psalm. How we are unfaithful, but God will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. Verse 23, how God dealt with them. 
when they doubted him, can God prepare a table? Let us see what God did. Yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna on them to eat and give them of the bread of heaven. So God was faithful. They doubted him, but he gave them food to eat. Men ate angels' food. I will explain this. He sent them food to the full. So even though the people rebelled against God and complained, God gave the command and rained the manna from heaven. He gave them and kept giving them bread of heaven and angels' food, and they ate to the full until they entered the promised land, until they entered Canaan, almost 40 years in the wilderness. Can you imagine for 40 years God provided manna from heaven? It was a great aggravation for their unbelief and they, their distrust. They actually now experienced God's power and God's care and love and goodness toward them. They doubted his power and his care. Would he, could he, would he doubting his care, could he doubting his power? But sending them manna for 40 years proved that God cared for them and also he is able to send them manna from heaven and table in the wilderness. For he had given them unbelief, undeniable proofs of both, that he cares and he could. And those not only from earth beneath, but from heaven above, having commanded the clouds, because he is a creator, he can command the clouds to serve God and to serve his people and supply their wants. He had absolute control over the clouds. That's his power. And had only just to command them, just make a command, and they would provide in abundance, which is signified by open the door of heaven. He commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. What's bread of heaven? Bread of heaven doesn't mean there is food in, in heaven and that's what the angel eats. No. Bread of heaven means descended from heaven. Clouds above rain down manna on them to eat. Manna, why it is called angel's food? Not because the angels ate of it, but because they ministered, they served the food. St. Paul called the manna spiritual food. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, all of them ate the same spiritual food. According to St. Asanisius, Asaph means to say that God not only fed their body by material food, but fed their souls by spiritual food, which is called the bread of angels by St. Paul. How he fed their soul? Because when I see manna descending from heaven every single day for 40 years and on Friday God sent double the amount so on Saturday on the Sabbath they could not take this is a spiritual lesson for them they should believe in God's care and in God's power what about the meat now we see God sent them bread from 26 actually he caused an east wind to blow in the heavens. East wind from the Red Sea. And by his power, he brought in the south wind. 
So God actually directed the wind from the east and from the south in order to bring the quail. He also rained the meat on them like the dust in the amount, like the dust. Feathered fowl like the sand of the seas. And he let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings. So the quails actually filled the whole camp and around them like dust. They ate, so they ate and were well filled for he gave them their own desire. So from verse 26 to 29 refers to God's provision of quails to provide meat for Israel. And here as God has power over the cloud, he has power over the wind. Wind are under the power and authority of God. The wind is the servant of God and obeys God. He says to one, go, and it goes. To another, come, it comes. St. Jerome's interpretation is that God made east wind to cease to blow. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens. By his power, he brought in the south wind. So, according to St. Jerome, God made the east wind to cease to blow in order that the westerly wind from the Red Sea might bring over the quails from Africa. The period when the quails were brought to the camp of Israel was in the spring, when on their northward immigration from Africa. So God redirected the east wind to go away, so the west wind can bring the quails from the Red Sea while they were migrated from Africa. God changes the wind, changes the direction of the wind, so as to bring them, to bring the quails into the camp. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, from verse 31 to 33, describe how God sent the quail to Israel when they complained about the manna. So, God rained the quails like dust. The word rained indicates the speed, and dust indicates the abundance of the descending quails. He did not rain on them fire because of their lack of faith, but in his long suffering, he rained on them meat. They challenged him, they tested him, but he sent them meat. Uncountable feathered fowls like dust and sand of the sea. He literally let the quails fall in the midst of their camp bringing the meat they craved to the children of Israel. God gave them their own desire, but because their craving was rooted in their self-will, the result was not good. Many times we ask God something and we challenge Him and we test Him, and it is not for our best interest, but God gave it to us and then we suffer because we insisted on what we want. They were filled, exceedingly filled, too much filled, as some versions describe they were filled. They ate not merely to satisfy nature, but to indulge, to gratify and satisfy their sensual appetite. Yes, gluttony is a sin. He gave them their own desire. They lusted after flesh. They had as much of it as they would. 
So the Lord showed them that he could provide for his people. He could prepare a table in the wilderness. He also showed them that when lust wins its desire, it is not good and has consequences. St. Paul explains in Romans chapter 1 from verse 21 to 25 the consequences of this foolishness. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but become futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. Verse 13, they were not deprived of their grieving, but while their food was still in their mouth. So what does it mean they were not deprived of their grieving? They did not eat until satisfied just their hunger, but no, they indulged. They ate and ate and ate and ate. That's why they were not deprived of their craving. But while their food was still in their mouth, what happened? The wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. What does it mean the wrath of God came against them? God, in each sin, God places consequences. In each sin. And these consequences, we call it the wrath of God. For example, if a person indulges food, he will suffer from many diseases. And the end can be actually death. So the word slew them, not actively, but the result of their gluttony and of their indulgence. St. Augustine asked a question, Behold, why God had delayed? He answers, Let us hear, while their food was still in their mouth, the wrath of God came against them. What does this mean? God was patient with them. God was patient with them. But their craving their indulgence brought on them the wrath of God. So, by the goodness and kindness of God unto them, they did not repent of their sins of lusting, nor did they abstain from their fleshly lusts, in a sense of being grateful and just be content to eat what God provided, they indulged. God rained on them meat to eat, but when they did not give thanks to him for it, and were filled, and got haughty, for the wrath of God came against them for their denial. God gave a disobedient and rebellious Israel all they desired, and the quail turned to be a plague of judgment among them because of their indulgence. So the psalmist goes on to show in these verses that God, to satisfy the Jews, showed his great power by great miracles and also his great care for them. He remained faithful in spite of their unfaithfulness. Still, he did not let their unfaithfulness go unpunished. Why? To lead them to repentance. They were brought to faith and to obedience, both by the miracles and the punishment inflicted on them. 
So God sometimes uses wonders, works with us, sometimes punishment and discipline to bring us to repentance. St. Jerome applies this to those who receive communion unworthily and to whom Satan enters and of whom St. Paul mentioned he will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Why? Why St. Paul said some of you are weak, sick and die if they take communion unworthily. God wants us to be led to repentance. So start by weak, sick. If the person did not repent, he may die. So despite all the blessing and the strongest of correction, they still sinned, as we read in verse 32. And in spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous work. Israel did not learn either from God's goodness or from his wrath, from his miracles or from his punishment. St. Augustine says, God had delayed therefore in order that he might first do what they had believed that he could not do. So, God did not punish them for their unbelief immediately. But first, he actually responded to their challenge and proved to them that he could and he would prepare a table for them in the wilderness. And then might bring upon them what they deserved to suffer from the beginning because they forgot the works of God, their rebellion, their ungratefulness, they tested God. For if they placed their hope in God from the beginning, not only would their desires of the flesh, but also those of the Spirit had been fulfilled. If they trusted God, God would provide for even the desires of the flesh as well as the desires of the Spirit. God said that this generation of unbelieving people could not enter the promised land. That generation should be consumed in the wilderness. And yes, none of them entered the promised land, only two persons, Joshua and Caleb. Verse 33, Therefore, their days he consumed in futility and their years in fear until they died in the wilderness. When he slew them, then they sought him repentance and they returned and sought God and sought earnestly for God was a punishment. So he consumed them in futility and their years in fear because they died in the wilderness. When he slew them, then they sought him and they returned and sought earnestly. But unfortunately, like most of us, when you go in a trial, God, I repented, I returned back to you. I'm not going to do this again. Just let this try. Once the trial is over, I relapse. That's exactly what happened. During the time of their repentance, then they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their Redeemer. But what happened? Nevertheless, they flattered Him with their mouths and they lied Him with their tongue. It was just words of, of mouth until the tribulation, until the punishment passed away. And then, as Asaph explained it, they flattered God with their mouths and they lied to Him with their tongue. 
So why he called its futility in verse uh, 33, therefore their days was he consumed in futility. Futility was expressed in the idea that they came out of Egypt but never into Canaan. Came out of Egypt but never into Canaan. That's why their days were consumed in futility. They did not enter the promised land. And why their years in fear? The fear was expressed in their unwillingness to take the land by faith. Do you remember when Joshua sent us the spies? They were afraid. And they said, we cannot take the, this land. The people are stronger than us. That's why God again, he told them, all of you will not enter except Joshua and Caleb. So neither gratitude for favor received, nor fear at punishment inflicted. So God gives them miracles, they were not grateful. Gives them punishment, they did not repent. Had, so neither the punishment nor the favors had any effect on the stiff-necked people. Despite of both, they still sinned. God did wonders of grace, which led them out of Egypt, protected them from their enemies, miraculously provided for them, yet they still sinned. Their faithlessness was punished by their 40 years of vain and purposeless wandering in the wilderness. Because they died, they did not enter the promised land. It took the most extreme correction from God. But eventually, a generation of people, their children, a new generation, grew and sought earnestly for God. That's what he said here. That the new generation, they remembered that God was their rock and the most high, their redeemer. Because the previous generation, when he slew them. But this generation also flattered God with their mouths and lied to him with their tongue. When they were scourged by God, disciplined by God, and put to death by him, they returned to their senses and asked God's help. God was executing punishment on the people while in the wilderness, and they would seek after God only during the time of crisis, like most of us. But even their seeking was insincere. The only time the people remembered God was when God punished them. They remembered that God was their rock, their redeemer. The truth was brought to their recollection that it was He, it was God who had delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, the redeemer, and who had brought them out into freedom, the rock. As soon as they felt the discipline, they came to implore God's mercy and to be repentant. Why? Because of fear. Because they were afraid of the punishment. And their repentance was empty. Because with their mouth, they flattered God. They called to mind God's previous goodness. But while they so professed their devotion to Him, they lied in their hearts, as we read in verse 36, their hearts was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouths, and they lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful 
in his covenant. So that calamities had the effect of producing temporary change, externally change. They became professedly penitent from outside. They manifested a wish to know God and expressed a purpose to serve him. But it was a temporary and hollow, nor deep nor real change or repentance. And many people right now, when in danger, promise God to change and correct their lives. And the moment they recover, they resume their old habits. But God will not be mocked, and such people will not escape the judgment of God. We'll stop here at verse 37, and God willing, we'll continue next time. Glory be to God forever. Amen.